And if you are saved by the grace of God, you have to believe miracles. You can't be saved without believing the virgin birth, without believing in the resurrection from the dead. I, I could explain all that to you, but I've done it before and I don't need to do it again. I'm just pointing out to you that, that we are believers in the supernatural and necessarily so. So what I'm going to tell you about this morning is, is all supernatural. It's all impossible apart from the supernatural power of God through which all things are possible. All things. And so to say that you believe that with me, how many of you have your Bibles today? Raise them up. Hold them high. This is the Word of God. And we believe it. Say amen. Amen. And so the second coming of Jesus is a classic doctrine fully, completely taught and explained in the Holy Scriptures. And you cannot read through the Bible, any part of the Bible, certainly through any part of the New Testament, without reading about the return of Jesus subsequent to his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will anoint me to speak words today that are understandable, that are clear, that are pointed and framed in the Word of God and that are declared because they are in the Word of God. I pray that you'll lead your, by your Holy Spirit today in what is said and what is spoken and what is taught. And give us hearts, every person in this place, give us hearts to receive the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One reason many people under, misunderstand the second coming of Jesus when that phrase is used is they do not understand that it is not one single momentary event. We refer to the coming of the second coming of Jesus. We're talking about events that cover a span of time. I believe, according to the Bible, that there is a catching away of the church of Jesus Christ. We call it the rapture. We can use any term in the scripture that we want to use. A catching away of the bride taken into heaven to enjoy the feast that the Lord has prepared for those who have served him and are faithful to him and who have lived their lives loving his appearing. That rapture takes place before what we call the tribulation. In the prophecy of Daniel in the Old Testament, there's a prophecy about 70 weeks that translates into weeks into years. In the prophetic terms, it explains the time of the, of the tribulation that comes upon the world that starts, officially starts, at the time of the rapture when the church is taken out. There will be events leading up to that, developing that cause us to see it that this tribulation is going to come upon the world. And then when Jesus is taken, takes his bride out, the church is gone, the Holy Spirit is gone with them because the Holy Spirit inhabits the body of Christ, then that one who restrains the evil power in the world today, which is the Holy Spirit, will not be there to restrain that evil power, and that evil power will have full reign in the world at that time. At the middle of the tribulation period, 
There is the setting up of the Antichrist's kingdom when he persuades the nation of Israel that he is their king, he is their Christ, when he actually is the Antichrist. And then he rules for the last three and a half years of the tribulation. At the end of that tribulation is the time that the second coming of Jesus is fulfilled as Jesus returns for the battle of Armageddon, which you've heard a lot about. You've heard the word used, much of it erroneously as it's used, but the word Armageddon is referring to that battle that's going to occur at the end of the tribulation. When the Bible says Jesus comes back with his thousands among thousands of saints joining him and engages in the battle against the evil empires of the world, overthrows them and wins that battle, and then a series of things begin to happen leading up to the millennial reign of Christ a thousand years on the earth. I'm giving you all of that setting so that you can see the one particular thing as a part of that second coming that I'm talking about this morning is the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church. Just as the tribulation is beginning to hit the earth, and when the church is caught away and the Spirit of God is caught away with them, then evil will rule, and that will be the tribulation, which will even increase in the last three and a half years. So what we want to talk about this morning, according to the scriptures that I'm going to bring to you, is that rapture of the church. Now, there are a number of things that have to happen before the battle of Armageddon. A lot of things have to happen before that second stage or second phase of the coming of Jesus at the end of the tribulation. All the tribulation has to occur. A number of other things will happen that I don't have time to tell you about, and it's not important that I do that this morning. It's important just to tell you that all those things have to happen. Now, Jesus returned to rapture his church out of the earth is imminent. That's the next thing that I see or can see in the prophecy calendar of the Lord. I don't see anything that has to happen now. There may be some things that have not been revealed to us that that will be apparent at another time, but right now, all that we see and all that we know according to the scriptures, as I can understand it and do understand it, is that Jesus is coming again in the rapt, for, for the rapture of the church to catch his bride away, and that coming is soon. That coming is imminent. That is the coming of the Lord that in the Bible we are warned that there will always be scoffers and those who question at the, in the last days and say, well, where is the promise of his coming? We've heard it and heard it and heard it, and why has it happened? I cannot tell you why it hasn't happened because that's not my pay grade. I don't know why it hasn't happened except for this one simple thing. It hasn't happened yet because God hasn't ordained it to happen yet. The Father hasn't put the time forth. He set the time, but we don't know it. Now, that's a revelation to a lot of people that we don't know the time that he's coming back. And a lot of people think they know. A lot of people have wandered off into error and fallen into great misunderstanding about important things in the kingdom of God because they try to set a date when... This event, the rapture, is going to take place. And they talk about the time that Jesus is coming. They're not talking about the second phase of his coming into the, at the end of the tribulation. They, when they say Jesus is coming on this date, when you've seen it in full-page advertisements in the newspaper, and it was in the historically there are churches, actually, that have been founded on this misinformation and this misconception, still operating today, believing that what was said then came to pass, which hasn't come to pass that Jesus would come on a certain day, that they set up, that they declared, that they proclaimed, that they advertised. 
When I see something that Jesus is coming on a certain day, I know I've got a free day. I can go out and, do, I can go out and not worry about anything, do anything I want to do because the one, the one thing that I don't have to be concentrating on that day is that Jesus is going to come that day. I'm pretty sure when people erroneously state this is the day that Jesus is coming, that's the day he's going to not come. Just, just to make sure that the Bible is right, that no man knows the day nor the hour. So, so how do we know and what's going to happen at that time of the rapture? That's what I want to share with you. One of the great things the Apostle Paul said when he wrote to Timothy in his second letter to him is that he had lived a, a life of faithfulness and that he had served God. And he said, this is what's going to happen. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to all those who love or eagerly look forward to his appearing. That's a, that's a qualification for the blessings and the war reward and the honor of God to come to our lives that we look for and expect and eagerly expect the return of Jesus, his appearing to us again. And you know, if you look through the New Testament, it's there again and again and again. Sometimes we just read it casually and pass by and overlook it. For example, in the wonderful classic chapter, John 14, when Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. There is a reference there in those first two verses to the return of the Lord. Jesus said in the third verse, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, take you back with me, so that where I am there you may be also. I'll come again if I go away. Well, he did go away, and now he's coming again. That's what Jesus said. And there are many verses throughout the New Testament that proclaim this truth. Jesus spoke about it more than one time. Others have spoken about it. The writers of the New Testament have proclaimed it, and we need to be aware of it. That there is in the economy of God a great supernatural event developing that God is getting us ready to be a part of, and that is the coming of Jesus for his church when we are raptured, caught up, caught up out of this world into the glory of God that he has prepared for his children. I want to give you 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection. It's propagating the fact that Jesus rose again and the power and the value of that resurrection. But the resurrection of the saints of God is tied in with the rapture of the church that is still alive in the world at the time that Jesus comes and that first resurrection takes place. This is what it says, 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 51 and 52, the Apostle Paul is writing. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, something that hasn't been revealed up to this time, that God has kept a secret, but now he wants to make known. That's a mystery in the New Testament. He said it was a mystery. Now, I want to tell you this mystery. We shall not all sleep in death. Now, I sometimes say to you here, we're all going to die. And I qualify that saying if Jesus doesn't come soon. The only thing that will keep us from meeting the death that every person meets in this world is the return of Jesus, and are ready to meet, and we'll be ready to meet him and caught up with him in the clouds. 
That will keep us from death. But we will still experience what death brings to people. The believer who dies is transformed into the presence of the Lord, not in a resurrected body, but taken into the presence of the Lord. At this first time of resurrection, when people are brought forth from the dead, they're going to be translated into, transformed into heavenly bodies. Now, when that happens, those who are still living, who are caught up, who are caught up in the air as the Lord comes and the people from the first set of graves arise in this first resurrection, and they're caught up moving forward, those who are still living at that time, who are ready to meet the Lord, are going to be caught up with them. Moving up in a heavenly army, going to the place that he's prepared for us for the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what Paul said. We shall not all sleep in death, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. That's a supernatural thing. I recognize it. It's beyond anything that can be explained by science or human reasoning. But it's in the Bible, and that's an event that God has prepared for us. And at that time, the first resurrection, the saints of God, whose bodies are planted in the ground, will be raised up and brought forth from the dead. You know, I used to have a lot of questions about that. I wondered about it. Maybe you have too. You know, that, uh, what, if, what if they never found a body? What if the body was burned to ashes like we do cremation today? What if it was blown apart in the war? What if all the pieces were never found? I stopped worrying about that a long time ago. That's not my problem. I can't do anything about it. I either believe or I don't believe. That's where it is, friends. You either believe or you don't believe. Every person sitting here this morning, that's your challenge. You believe it or you don't believe it. I don't think God has any problem bringing all the parts together. And he may not need all the parts because he may be having a, just a totally new revelation that only needs one little cell to make it happen. I don't know about all that. And neither, and neither does anybody else. But what I do know is there's a representation that is true. And that representation is in the Bible. And the Bible says it's going to happen. And I believe it's going to happen. I don't want to be caught by surprise when it does happen. I want to be a part of knowing what, what is going on. And when I see all this happening and transpiring, I want to know this is the rapture. As I'm on my way up, I want to be looking back down and say, this is the rapture and we're on our way. This is being caught away, being caught away with the church. When we see all of that happening, it's going to be a surprise to a lot of people who won't understand what's going on. It's amazing that some people walk into work that day and the supervisor is not there or the co-workers are not there. There's not enough people to get the job done. And what's going on? You might even drive into McDonald's and find out there's nobody to talk to you on the speaker. You might go in somewhere for your car to be repaired and say, well, all of, some, some of our mechanics are out today. We're shorthanded. We don't know why. They're faithful guys. They always show up, but they didn't show up today. That's because they showed up somewhere else. I'll tell you one thing. One reason I'm glad I'm going in the rapture is because just in case I'm flying in an airplane and the pilot's saved and ready to go to heaven, I don't want to be on that plane as it goes down without him. I'm just going up with him. 
I'm driving down the highway and my car doesn't have a driver, I'm not the one that's got to be worried about that. The people that are left got to be worried about that. My car is running 60 miles an hour and I'm gone. I don't care about that car anymore. I don't want it to hurt anybody, but if it does, I can't help it. I'm gone. I'm no longer a part of the legal system of this world. I'm no longer a part of the political system of this world. I'm no longer a part of the philosophy of this world. I'm no longer a part of what this world claims and cannot produce. I'm no longer a part of the lies that this world tells. I'm no longer a part of all the deception. I have been transformed at the promise of God because Jesus said it's true. I've believed it and stood on it in faith. And when it happens, I plan to go with all of those who are ready to go. Hallelujah. And here's what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians about this very event, this very thing, corroborating what he wrote to the Corinthians. He said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 15 and 17, For the Lord himself, Jesus, will descend from heaven with a cry of command. King James says he'll descend with a shout. In this ESV says he'll descend with a cry of command. Other translations say he's coming with a commanding voice. He's going to come, and while we may not see him instantly, we will hear his voice. And when we hear that cry to come on up, we'll know, we'll understand, we'll recognize it. And know it's beyond our power. At that point, it's in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And we're caught up from where we are, from whatever we're doing, translated into the air and into the clouds, to ever be with the Lord. This is what the scripture says. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ, what I just told you from Corinthians, the dead in Christ will rise first, when then we who are alive and remain. Those of us who are alive at this great event, when it comes to pass, then those of us who are, of us who are alive and remain, those of us who are left, will be caught up together with them, with the resurrected ones, and all the other saints that are being caught up in the rapture will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That means we're going up from where the clouds are, up and beyond the clouds, beyond the atmosphere, to the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord. Hallelujah. This is a permanent thing, friends. This is a permanent transfer. This is a permanent relocation, going from this world into the world that he's prepared for us in the glory world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so the promises are here complete all the way through the here again and again and again. In, ja in Acts chapter 1, you're, you're very familiar with this. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus had spoken to the 500 or so people who were gathered there. And he said to them, one of the things he said was, Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're due with power from on high. All of them didn't do that. Only about 120 of them did it. But he spoke it to all of them. He made a promise. If you'll tarry in Jerusalem, wait for me. I will send the power on high into your lives. And he kept that promise. Now, Jesus, having made that promise, is getting ready for the what we call the ascension. He's getting to go up. There are two angels standing on the sides. And as Jesus is standing, first of all, just like we always do, the first thing they wanted to do, I digress to tell you this, it's, it's a little bit important. One of the first things they did was that Jesus was there and they saw him in his final appearance. Some of them would say, Lord, what are going to be the signs of the time? What are the signs that we're going to see? How are we going to know these things? Tell us about this. 
Jesus said, I'll take care of that. That's not for you to worry about. I'll take care of that. Here's what you need to do. You need to concentrate on me. So the angel said, why stand you here gazing into heaven as Jesus is being caught away into the clouds and transformed into his ascension where he's going to the throne of the heavenly Father? And they stand looking at him. And the angels say, why stand you here gazing into heaven? Do what he told you to do. Go cover yourselves in, in, the, in, in, the, in, in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. Why just stand here gazing? Get busy. Because this same Jesus who's going away will so come in like manner as you've seen him going away. He promised that he would come again. The last promise that Jesus made through the angels speaking his words, the last promise made before Jesus arrived at the throne of the Heavenly Father was, Jesus will come again. The last promise. Now, the next of the last promise he made was, if you will wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, you will receive the Holy Spirit when he's poured out on you. That happened, too, on the day of Pentecost. So here's the important thing for us to know in this. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come, and the Holy Spirit did come. He's still here moving and active, performing the ministry of the Lord Jesus and revealing Christ to many. In this world today, the Holy Spirit is still here moving back because Jesus sent him as he promised he would. As he promised throughout the Gospels, he would send him. If I go not away, the Comforter cannot come. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Promise after promise he made. The last promise, next to the last promise Jesus made was the Holy Spirit would come. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. Great, glorious miracles. The Holy Spirit's been working in the world ever since. He is present in the world because Jesus sent him to his people. Next to the last promise, and he kept that promise. The last promise is made was, he will come again. I am coming again, Jesus said. He hasn't done that yet, but just like he kept the fix of the last promise when he said the Holy Spirit will come, he's going to come again just like he said he would because he keeps his promises, he keeps his word, and he never violates what he has said. Jesus Christ is coming again, and we need to be ready for his arrival coming to take us with him. Now, I've already talked to you about nobody knowing the time or the day that we don't, but I can tell you this. All the signs indicate to me that it's closer than it's ever been. Much of what's going to happen in the great in the tribulation and the great tribulation is going to happen in Israel, in the Middle East. That's going to be the seed of it all. It's going to be there. In the temple that Antichrist will set up his throne. There are those who say that the temple has to be rebuilt before that can happen. There's only a part of the old last temple of Jerusalem standing. That's the western wall that we call the Wailing Wall. When you go to Israel in October, you'll find, you'll see that you'll get to stand right there at that wall and see that very wall that was a part of the last temple that stood in Jesus' day before it was destroyed in AD 70 by the Romans and their powerful military machine. You'll see that wall there. There are those who say that temple has to be rebuilt before Jesus can come again because it will they won't be able to rebuild it so quickly. And in the three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to set up his throne in that temple. Now, I'm going to propose to you something else. And when I do something like this, this is something that I always tell you. I cannot prove this by the Bible. I'm just using my own logic to interpret this. So you can disagree with it. If you, you can't disagree with the other thing. So you're not allowed to do that. Because that I said right from the Bible. 
But I'll tell you this, you can disagree with it if you want to. That's your own peril. But I don't think that temple has to be rebuilt. You see, there is a temple standing there now. No, it's not the temple of God. It's not the temple of Herod. It's not the temple of David. It's not the temple of the Jews. But there's a temple standing right there. It's a mosque. The, the, the golden dome built right on the place that is so contentious, always been so con- still contentious today. The Muslims have that. They won't let Christians or, or Jews go in. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's sacred. But it is a big, huge temple. Now, the Antichrist is going to come to say that we're all the same. We want the power of the Muslims. We want the power of the Jews. We want the power of the Christians. We want all of them to believe and come in and be a part of what we're doing. And so we're willing. Here's the temple already made. And in a great accommodation of everybody coming together, everybody ready to worship the Antichrist, we'll just set up our kingdom and our throne right here in this temple that's already built, and we'll let it be a Jewish temple, we'll let it be a Christian temple, we'll let it be a Muslim temple, and we'll rule and reign from here. What does it matter to the Antichrist? He's godless and a deceiver, a liar, and everything that is opposed to Christ anyway. He is going to fill right in with the great philosophy of the world today. And the philosophy of the world today is let's all achieve diversity. Let's all show tolerance. After all, we're all serving the same God. We're all made by the same God. After all, we're all going to the same place. I'm not preaching that. I'm telling you that's the lie that the world is telling you. And that it will feed right into what I've just described to you could happen in Israel in these last days and during the tribulation time particularly. Because in the tribulation time, the first part of the tribulation is going to be disruptive to the world. Now the attack will be against Israel. But who is going to have to stand up when Israel is attacked? Well, for one, the United States of America. Because we have a treaty that says if they're attacked, that's the same thing as attacking us. Now, if you don't see the events coming together, maybe you don't follow the news that carefully. But if if you don't, you should start following a little bit carefully with the eye of what might happen in the terms of the Scripture, not in the terms of the politics of the world. You see, when when Iran was given the uh, opportunity to develop a, a nuclear bomb, and they were given that opportunity, slowed it down, If the treaty is correct, and who knows, nobody's ever been able to find out what it all really says. At least that's what everybody talks about it says to me. They don't all know what it all says. There are secret things about it that have never been brought out. I don't know. But I do know this, that there's a treaty with Iran that allows them in 10 years to start developing their nuclear program. Anybody who believes they're not already developing it today, under hiding and in secret, well... I want to talk to you about a special offering I'm trying to raise for a 500-foot prayer tower out here on the corner of the property. So, so, and, and, and this is what is said. This is the declaration. Why do they want this? Because they are saying, because Israel, we're finally going to get a chance to blow you off the map. We're finally going to get a chance. We've been saying we're going to annihilate you all these years. We've never been able to do it. You've always been able to repel us. And you've always been able to turn back our military. But now when we get nuclear weapons and we sit here and pull the trigger and they send it over there to Israel, 
It won't be like that anymore. We're going to blow you off the, off the map. When, when those kinds of things begin to happen, I don't tell you that I know exactly how it's going to come about. I'm just telling you the possibilities of that could happen that will disturb this world, that will upset any semblance of balance that we have in this world today. When that nuclear weapon is achieved by them, and then the North Koreans think, well, if they can do it, so can we. Let's make sure that we take care of our part so we can protect ourselves. Let's blow up Japan and South Korea and all those around us that we can, and maybe even the outer edges of China, so we'll be able to stand alone. Let's, let's, let's take our place as North Korea, because the Iranians have just blown up part of Israel, so we're going to start blowing up everything here. And all of these things are coming about. All, if you'll excuse the expression, all hell, and that's literally so, all hell is going to start breaking loose. And this world is going to be under a challenge of how to survive. That's what's going to bring the Antichrist up to the forefront. When he offers that ray of hope, however he does it, or however he accomplishes it, and makes people believe that he is the Christ, he is the God, he's the King of Kings who come back to rule and reign over this world and bring peace, then that is going to be a place that says there is a height of deception that's never been reached in this world before, and the world be de- will be deceived by the claims of this Antichrist and the false miracles that he's able to perform. Now, now all these things that I'm talking about, when that happens and that starts to break open, you don't have to hear it, worry about hearing reports about it on the news and what the newscasters say about it. They won't understand it anyway. They start trying to explain what happened to the bus drivers. The bunch of passengers on, and suddenly the bus driver disappeared. He ran off somewhere. He didn't run off. He got caught up, taken up through the ceiling of the bus. Airplane pilots, men working, women working, wherever they may be. You go into public, and there's nobody there to take care of them. Check out so people just start walking out with all the groceries they can load up because all the supervisors are gone. There's nothing there to keep any order. And looting starts happening all over the world because there's a change. And there are many, many people who have unexpectedly been taken out of this world where they're living, dealing with their responsibilities. But they're caught up now in this rapture of the church, taken away. They're no longer here. And the responsibilities that they took care of in the world, they cannot take care anymore because they are gone in the plan of God, all of this. Now you say, Pastor, you present a dire picture. I'm not presenting it nearly as dire as it's going to be. I'm not even close to where it's really going to be. But I can tell you that there's going to be turmoil, there's going to be disturbance, there's going to be distress, there's going to be great upset, great consternation, and great misunderstanding that will cause the world to be in a state of confusion. And that confusion, you think there's a lot of confusion, a lot of it, and there is in the world today. You look at the things that could happen when Iran breaks loose with a nuclear weapon, and it may be sooner than anybody thinks. You see what's happening with ISIS in the world today? Sure, it seems that they're being turned back in some places, but who knows how long that's going to last or if it will last. And who knows when somebody else over there who now seems to be on our side joins up and gets on their side. There's no stability whatsoever in what is happening there. I'm not telling you that I'm a military strategist. I'm not telling you that I'm a political prognosticator. I'm not telling you about all these things except in one context. I believe the Word of God says that these things are going to happen. Some of these things we know are going to happen because if all the church is caught up out of the world, there's nobody left to run any control over it. There's nobody left to fulfill those responsibilities. Those places are vacant because those people are gone. That's going to lead to a lot of distress, a lot of confusion, a lot of disturbance in the world. You can't 
can't avoid that. That's going to happen when the church is caught away. What you need to do, what I need to do is to make sure, be sure, absolutely certain that we are ready for that return of Jesus to catch the church out of this world. That's what you and I have to be responsible for. And that's what we must not miss. Whatever you do, you must not miss that rapture of the church. Now, if you think that there are things that have to happen, and there are those of you who looked enough and you're studying enough, you don't understand the second chapter of Second Thessalonians, and you, and you want to know why Jesus can come before all this happens, and someday I'll be glad to sit down and talk to you about it. There are probably several that don't understand it. I'll be glad to put a little group together to explain it to you. But I can't do that in a sermon. I have to do that in a teaching session where we can answer questions and develop it. But I know we've had people who think, well, Pastor, when you say the next thing that's going to happen is Jesus is coming, what about this? This has got to happen first. And I say, no, it doesn't have to happen first. And the reason for that, I go back to the very beginning of my message. The reason people get confused about that is because they don't understand when we refer to the second coming of Jesus that we're talking about a segment of time and a series of events starting with the rapture of the church climaxing with Jesus coming back with the saints for the battle of Armageddon the second phase of his second coming and they don't understand that inner time in between there are those who believe that the church has to go through the tribulation we have to go through the tribulation because the church needs to be purified I reject that totally if there's any reason the church has to go through the tribulation it is certainly not to be purified you're not purified by tribulation. You're not purified by your tribulation now, and you won't be purified by the tribulation then. That doesn't produce purification. The only thing that produces purification in this world is the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his salvation, his grace, his forgiveness, his salvation. Hallelujah. That's what produces cleansing and purification, not tribulation. But I believe that the church is going to be caught out, and yes, I do. Yes, I do. He's coming back with thousands of his saints, thousands upon thousands at the Battle of Tribulation. I'm sorry, at the Battle of Armageddon, at the end of the Tribulation. He's coming back with thousands upon thousands of his saints to do battle with the evil empires and to win that battle at the Battle of Armageddon. Now, I know that there are people who have died in the faith and are with the Lord. You can say those are the ones that are coming back with him. But to me, it seems that the ones that are coming back with him, and I won't limit it to this, but the but those people who were resurrected at the rapture, who were living and caught up in the rapture, taken into the heavenly realm with Jesus, are the ones who are going to be coming back with him at the battle of Armageddon. And when that battle is fought, not one of the saints of God is going to be lost in the battle. Jesus and his army is going to win the battle, destroy all the evil kingdoms, annihilate them, and set up his own kingdom in the world for the thousand-year reign of the millennium. Now, when Jesus comes back, this is what you and I have to, I'll say it again, this is what you and I have to be certain of. The one thing we have to be certain of is that we're ready for him to come back. Now, let's suppose the people who believe he's going to come back during the tribulation, those who believe that he's going to come back after the tribulation, or maybe even he's going to come back at the millennium. There are even people who believe he's going to... His millennial kingdom will usher in the coming of Christ and he'll come at the end of the millennium. That's a far extreme, but there are people that believe that. But let's suppose that some of those people are right and I'm wrong. I'm saying he's going to come before the tribulation. You get ready and you live your life believing that, looking for him. Even if I'm wrong, you're still better off because you lived in preparation for it. Anybody who's going to live through the tribulation has got to be ready for great persecution. 
They've got to be ready to reject the mark of the beast because if they accept that, they will be, they will be doomed forever, spiritually doomed if they take the mark of the beast, according to the Scripture. So you've got to be ready to stand for all those things. And I am telling you today, not because we're escapists, not because I'm telling you that we can't stand in a time of trial, but because it's not necessary. He's going to come for us and take us away. So when, 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 you, when you get ready for that time, you get ready for the coming of Jesus. And if it is so happens that he comes a little bit later than I'm saying, which I don't believe is true, but if it were to be true, you'd still be better off because you're geared up to deal with all the things that may happen. The people who are being taken away out before the tribulation are better equipped to deal with the evils of the tribulation than those people who have to stay because they've not lived for God, they lived away from Christ. And anybody who comes to faith in Christ has got to come in the midst of that great, horrible destruction that has reigned against Jesus and all of his message and his force and his truth. That's going to be anti-Christ all the way through the tribulation. The best thing you can possibly do is know that you're ready to meet the Lord if he comes today or even tonight maybe tomorrow morning. But I don't know when to say he's coming. Boy, if I knew how to if I knew how to predict that. Well, if I knew how to predict it and thought I did and invited everybody to come to hear me tell about it and the whole church filled up and people standing outside waiting here that it'd still be wrong because I wouldn't know and everybody would just be deceived, so I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to tell you I don't know when it is. I don't know when he's coming again. I don't know when the rapture is going to take place. But what I do believe is it's going to be soon. Because I don't see anything now that's standing between us and the rapture when Jesus comes again for his church. I don't see anything standing between. You look at some things in the Bible, and every one of those that may think you believe there's something that has to happen has a very clear explanation. I mentioned the second chapter of of, uh, of Second Thessalonians, because I know there are a lot of people who stumble over that point. They want to say, how can this happen? That's because they're looking at the second phase of the coming of Jesus instead of looking at the rapture. You and I want to focus our attention on Jesus, keep our eyes on him. And when he comes, there will be a loud shout, a commanding shout. I don't know what he's going to say, but it's going to be like a code triggered within us. And when that shout comes forth, it registers in our spirit, and we rise up and say, the Lord is here. And we rise up to go with him caught up in the clouds, to meet him in the air. Then the trumpet's going to sound, and we'll hear all of these sounds. In fact, in fact, I heard somebody say a long time ago, it is so imminent, the coming of the Lord is so close. It's time for us to stop looking for sounds, stop looking for signs, and start listening for sounds. And I believe it's true. Not look for signs, but listen for sounds. Very soon we're going to hear the commanding call when Jesus says to his people all over this world, Come up to meet me, and we will rise as gravity loses its hold and be taken away with him to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, the Bible says. So shall we ever be with the Lord. I know that some of you are listening to this and you're saying, Boy, this guy is so far off his baby. We need to get some people in the white coat to come in here and see if they can help him, take him somewhere to get him some help. <laughs> if you can show me in the Bible where this is not true, I'll listen to you. You know, if you can't show me in the Bible where this is not true.
true, and I can show you where I believe it is true. You need to listen to me. And I'm telling you, not to stir you up in any way other than by the truth of God, what God has said he wants us to know. If he didn't want us to know it, he wouldn't have put it in his word. This is not something he made up. This is a plan that he put forth. And this plan he has allowed us to be a part of by our faith in him. Today, we need to know where we stand so we know when we're, where we're going and when we're going, not by date or by time, but by the return. When Jesus comes again, we're going to be ready to be caught up to go with him. You believe it? You believe it? Amen. 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 Everybody stand with me, please. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Close your